Welcome, all of you wine and true crime lovers. I'm Brandy. And I'm Chris. And this is Texas Wine and True Crime. Thank you for being here, friends, for this week's episode, The Murders of Rick and Susanna Walmsley. Chris, here we are, kicking off 2024 with a case that happened during the holiday season. You will tell us all about the Christmas dinner you made. All about. It was so yummy. And we'll share more about the Cabernet we were sipping on from our friends at Horseshoe Bend Cellars Vineyard and Winery. And we'll tell them all about it during our wine recess. Absolutely. Okay. Before we jump in, I do have a few announcements as we roll into the new year. Uh, First and foremost, we want to wish everyone a happy and prosperous new year. Yes, Happy New Year to everyone. I hope everyone ate their black eyed peas. (laughs) We did. I'm a little superstitious about that. I ate plenty. So hopefully uh, you have a wonderful, wonderful 2024. Make it the best yet. Chris, we will be at Henry's Majestic in Dallas on Thursday, February 1st. Yes, very excited for that. Very excited. In fact, we will be doing a live show at Henry's the first Thursday of every month starting in February. So Dallas friends... Make some plans, come out and see us, and visit a really, really cool restaurant bar right here in Dallas. It's a cool place. It is very cool. Great in- setup, outdoor, indoor, restaurant, bar. It's just It's got a little bit of everything. Yes. And if you're inside, you can actually see outside. And it's open. Yes. So it's, I love just like the open format of the place. So the fire pits are rolling outside. The inside bar is open to the outside. Just a cool place. And I'm thrilled, Chris, that they've asked us to um, be a part of their monthly show schedule. Absolutely. So we're kicking that off again February 1st, Thursday. Come and check us out at Henry's Majestic in Dallas. And Chris, we are kicking off January with our monthly wine and crime Zooms. We are picking those back up starting this month. So our first one will be Thursday, January 25th at 8 p.m. Details will be coming soon. But Chris, we're going to be doing this Zoom with True Crime Broads. Now, I'm excited about this because they're local um, to us in Texas, and they have been covering the Missy Beavers case extensively. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had great conversations with these ladies about the Missy Beavers case. Um, We've covered the case. So they're going to be on Zoom, and we get to meet with their listeners. They get to meet with our listeners, and um, we get to talk about the unsolved case of Missy, Missy Beaver. So excited about that. Um, So friends, put that on your calendar, January 25th, live on Zoom at 8 p.m. with True Crime Broads. All right. Okay, Chris, I think that's enough announcements for now. Are you ready to jump into this week's case? I am. All right, friends, it's time to sip some wine and talk some crime. As always, we want to give you a few facts about where our crime takes place. So here we go. Let's learn a little bit about Mansfield, Texas. Number one, Mansfield sits in the DFW Metroplex and is mostly located in Tarrant County. Chris, I think when people think of Mansfield, they think of like Arlington, Fort Worth. That's, that's the way I think of it. That's what I think, too. So sitting right there in that area. Number two, the population of Mansfield sits around 80,000 people today. It's much smaller than I thought. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, I kind of thought it was around that. It's, okay. That's still pretty big, though. 
That is big. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know why I thought it had more people. But Mansfield, around 80,000. And number three, David Graham and Diane Zamora decided to murder 16-year-old Adrian Jones in Mansfield, Texas in 1995. Chris, this case is also known as the Cadet Murders. We covered this case in Season 2, Episode 2, if people want to go back and listen. But crazy case um, happened right there in Mansfield with these Mansfield high school students. Yep. On December 11, 2003, Rick and Susanna Walmsley are found viciously murdered in their upscale Mansfield, Texas home. The house beautifully decorated for Christmas by stay-at-home mom Suzanne, or excuse me, Susanna, was covered in blood and terror. Rick is found by the front door, clear signs showing he tried to make a run from his attackers. Chris, what happened to this picture-perfect Walmsley family? Okay, so we've got 45-year-old Susanna Walmsley, uh, known by her friends and family as Susie. She is found dead on her living room couch. And her husband, 46-year-old Rick Walmsley, was found dead by the front door of the home. The couple had two children, daughters Sarah, son Andrew. Now, at the time of their murders, their daughter was living on her own. Um, She had a child and a life of her own. So she's... Well, out of high school, um, I do believe she might. She was probably in her early twenties when this happened. I'm going to say about 22, 23 years old. Her younger How brother old was Andrew, her child? Uh, an infant, toddler. Infant one, uh, I think she had the baby when she was 19. So I would say two or three, a toddler. Um, and then Andrew was 18 year olds, 18 years old, and this is their son. And now he is living at home with his parents at the time they're killed, and he's attending a local community college. So no small children in the house except the grandbaby that that is there. Um, the Wamsleys did watch that child, and, and we'll get into that um, in, in just a second, some of the family dynamic. Now, the Wamsleys are described um, by family and friends as being close, loving, well-to-do, um, a hardworking family. Susie is described as a very dedicated mom to her children. So Chris, as they grew up, she was a stay-at-home mom. Rick was a busy CPA. But from all accounts, he loved his family. He worked really hard, but he was really busy. So Susie was there to make sure that the kids needed to, you know, get where they needed to be, that they had their lunches made, that they got to school, that they got home from school. So she definitely played that home role um, for the kids. And then Rick was um, Rick was off working. Now, in 1995, the family moved to Mansfield from Arlington, and they moved right into Walnut Estates, which is the country club area over in Mansfield. So, so an affluent. An affluent. His practice is doing really well. Um, he was working for different companies as a CPA at the time. So he would have to travel to Houston. He was doing some work in Dallas. And he's, it's becoming more lucrative. So this is when he decides, you know, I'm going to get a bigger home and provide the kind of life that, you know, him and Susie wanted to have. They always wanted. And, you know, with that comes um, image, right? You're now moving into a more affluent area. Um, you want your children to be successful. You have high expectations for them. Um, so, the family, even though they were described as being close, friendly, hardworking, um, the parents definitely wanted their kids to live up to the Walmsley name. 
Okay, there was there was the some new pressure. Standard. The new standard, right? Uh, so on December 11, 2003, at 11.40 p.m., Chris, a 911 dispatch call comes in from the Wamsley residence. So there's no one on the other end of the line. And then the call is traced and officers are sent out to check on it. Now, I do want to say this was the beginning of good decisions made by the community, beginning with that 911 operator tracing this call, knowing someone could be in trouble and sending law enforcement to check it out. Chris, this when I when I read this in my research, and I can't tell you how many times we hear of a call coming in from 911 from a residence, and they're like, hello, hello, and no one's saying anything, and they just hang up and don't do anything, right? Like, oh, I thought they had to. Respond. Oh, there are. I there's some nightmare stories. Of, there, I mean, I remember this one case, and I I've I've wanted to cover this case. It's a domestic violence case. The woman was making the call and saying like, "He's gonna kill me." Like, I think this guy is gonna. And nobody was sent out. It, it was. It's this unbelievable story. But the ball gets dropped sometimes. But I want to say in this case, nine one one trace that call. No one was at the other line. They immediately sent police out to the Wamsley home. So they arrive. The house looks quiet from the outside. They're looking around. Um, you know, nothing seems out of place. The doors aren't open. You know, nothing's kicked in. But then they go to the side of the house and they notice that the garage door is completely open. The light is on in the garage and the home, the door that goes into the home from the garage is unlocked. So police actually turn, you know, they have their body cam footage on at this point, right? So they walk into the Wamsley house. So they're looking around, they're calling out for the family, they're not getting any answers. So they just continue to walk through. It's very quiet. Again, this is a right around right before midnight. Um, and they, but then they come across a blood trail on the floor. Yeah. Now, the, they follow the trail into the living room, and that is where they see two dead bodies. Okay? You with me so far? I am <laughs> All I'm right. with you. Now, detectives soon arrive because police are like, okay, we got to get out of here. This is a crime scene. We need to get the right people oh, yes. in here. So they do. So they leave. Detectives soon arrive, and they identify the victims as homeowners Rick and Susie Wamsley. I mean, they didn't have an identification yet, but they believe that those are the parents that live, that own the home. Um, Susie was asleep on the couch that night. She was found face down, um, sleeping, what looked like, what police to them looked like she was sleeping on the couch. And they describe her as looking peaceful. She had been shot once in the head and had been stabbed a total of 18 times. Um, but Chris, she never had a chance. She was actually dead after the first shot. So she was stabbed after she was already deceased. Yeah. And I always wonder how they determine that. But I guess it's just based on the state of the body. Rigor mortis sets mm -hmm. in, kind of knows. Anyway. Well, um, also just um, probably from the bleeding, probably from the way the blood maybe coagulates with the knife stabs. If somebody is already deceased, I mean, it was just not necessary. But to me, this was an ambush. The, the, the shot fired was to subdue and yes. hopefully kill her. But the, the stabbing, to me, probably came immediately. Yeah, that's why you wonder why the stabbing. Uh, because to me, that's a frantic, I'm going to shoot, now I'm going to stab to make sure she doesn't get up. Yeah. Right? Um, because I would assume maybe they're probably in the dark. 
the perpetrator. There's probably no lights on. She's sleeping. So my guess is if you can't see the body and you can't necessarily see the face or you're you're just going to stab until you know she's not moving, right? Okay, so that's how she is found. Rick Walmsley was found. Chris, he was found at the front door. He had been shot twice, once sort of in the in the neck head area, I would say, on I do believe on the right side, and once in the back. And he was stabbed a total of 21 times. Now, the blood trail was determined to be his since they believe Susie was shot while she was sleeping. They don't even think she got up. Um Police find a bullet casing in the living room on the ground with a broken knife. Now, the blade of the knife is there, but the handle of the knife is missing. Um, They go to the bedroom because that's where the blood trail is coming from. And they find two bullet holes um, in the bedroom. They find one in the the, uh, wall which they end up getting out of the wall. And the other one is found through the headboard. So they believe the perpetrator approached the bedroom. So picture this, okay? She shot. You would think he would wake up. I think he did. I think he probably stirred. I don't know if he necessarily was up and running by the time this perpetrator got to the bedroom. But I will say once that shot is heard and then Susie is stabbed, um, I think he probably heard something and sat up, you know, kind of looking around. Yes. He pre- he knew his wife was on the couch. Um, we'll talk about that. So um, this they, it seemed to be this could have been something standard they've been doing lately was her sleeping on the couch. So maybe he's like, oh, it might be her downstairs, right? Just doing something. Maybe when he came out of his sleep, he really didn't realize what had happened. But Um, They believe the perpetrator approaches the bedroom, takes two shots at him. The first one hits him in the head neck area, which causes the bleeding, um, which causes the blood trail. But the other one went into the wall and totally missed him. So he somehow gets to his feet. So my theory is that he's somehow moving. He's up at at least up sitting up out of bed. Um, And. Now he has now found a way to get out of the bed and go after this perpetrator because he is he then ends up in the living room by the fireplace. The reason we know this is because there was a large pool of blood found in front of the fireplace and there was streaks of blood within the carpet. Um, some of the like somebody crawling, I guess. Somebody described it more of like an, a blood angel. You know how like that you yeah, move. Yeah, I remember watching. Yeah, so they're like moving like this. So they to to them that's someone struggling with someone else while bleeding. So in moving, sort of of right to left. So they believe a struggle ensues when he exits the bedroom. He ends up in front of the fireplace while struggling, but then is able to either subdue the perpetrator or get away and heads towards the front door. So that's where um, that's where he's found. Police find it in total disarray. There were clear signs of a struggle right in front of that door. There were different shoe prints that were seen by police. Um, so at that moment, they believed multiple people were involved in trying to stop Rick Wamsley from escaping that attack. Um, based on his defensive wounds, police believe 
you know, he put up one hell of a fight. This man, I think, was like 6'1", 6'2", 240, 250. Big guy. Yeah, I saw a picture of him. He's a pretty big. Big guy. Big guy. Um, and, and they think he was just overpowered at this point. Um, police, Chris, find a nugget. They mm. find a big, big nugget, which I believe is what solves this case. Um, because if, when you look at all the other evidence, very circumstantial stuff, but he has a handful of hair in his hand. It is a wad of long black hair, and they also find a b- broken hair clip on the floor. So this tells police at least one of the perpetrators is most likely female. Uh, I think the wife had red hair, so they they did look at that sample of yeah. her, um, but it did not match anyone in the Wamsley family. Uh, police, Chris, also find almost $15,000 in cash in one of the bedroom drawers. So would robbery be a motive? But if someone knew that money was there, they didn't take it, right? Wouldn't they take it? Yeah, and nothing else is missing either. Nothing else. else is missing. There were no signs of forced entry into the home, um, which will become a little baffling in 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 the beginning in this case. Um, but people in the community... Are now now remember this is eleven fifty at midnight when the Wamsleys are found, and now we're getting into an all nighter investigation. Right, police have been at the home; they've taped it. They're looking at yeah, neighbors are coming out. Neighbors are coming out. It's daylight. People are going on their morning walks. What is going on? There's news reporters outside. Um, police are interviewing neighbors. They couldn't believe this was happening in Walnut Estates. Right, you have this affluent family. Um, it's Christmas, you know, it's near Christmas time, and there was still a murderer out there, right? They had nobody in custody at this point, um, so people were obviously concerned. The night before the Wamsleys were killed, their son Andrew had left in his car to go and spend the night at his girlfriend's house. Now, her name is Chelsea Richardson. Now, Andrew arrives at his parents' home with his girlfriend, Chelsea, the morning the bodies are found. So he tells police he saw on the news that someone had been killed in his neighborhood and rushed over to check on his parents. And now it's time for our wine recess. All right. Wine recess. Okay, Chris, tell us what you made for our episode this week. Well, we made a pretty big Christmas feast, and we had a cab that we were going to uh, to be drinking. So I chose to go with roasted rack of lamb with an herb crust. And plus, we had a lot of people, too. So I wanted to do two, two racks. Uh, in addition to that, we made some Hasselbeck potatoes, some little yellow Yukon gold potatoes, in Hasselbeck style. Uh, the carrots, of course, kind of a kind of a honey brown sugar glazed carrot that we roasted as well. And then we... Topped all that off with some Brussels sprouts that were kind of tossed in a little lemon vinaigrette and then roasted as well, too. And, of course, a salad. So It was so good. I think it came out nice. Everybody it was. enjoyed it. Was it was nice. Went very well with the wine. I thought, you know, it was a pretty rich dish. And it did. so I think it it paired very well, you know, especially with the, some of the citrus and the Brussels sprouts and stuff like that. Nice and balanced. So that's kind of a fattier dish, too. Yeah. But I think it was nice. Everybody enjoyed it. It was nice. It was great. And we only had one bottle of wine, so we did. I know. (laughs) Yeah, we had the the Cabernet. We had the Cabernet Sauvignon from Horseshoe Ben Cellars. So they, Chris, are in Iowa Park, Texas, 
which is near where I was born in Wichita Falls, Texas. Um, so fun fact. Fun fact. Fun fact. Uh, so just a couple hours away, and it is actually family owned. Uh, Linda and Scott Panish uh, in ha- opened this in 2017. They have children who also help in the winery, Chris. Um, now, besides their, first of all, they you can go and visit them in Iowa Park. Um, their website is Horseshoe Men Cellars Vineyard and Winery. So check them out. But I do want to say also, we had their chocolate sauce. They have a they have two kinds of chocolate sauces, by their way, on their website. I looked. One is a Cabernet sauce, Cabernet chocolate sauce, and the other one is a port chocolate sauce. And we have the port. And we used it over our already chocolate cake. By the way, everyone wanted more chocolate sauce. Absolutely. Like, oh, can I have some more sauce before they even finish their cake that we already poured it on? And then we thought, okay, we need to make some other stuff with this chocolate. Yeah, we were brainstorming chocolate martinis. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah, so Horseshoe Ben Sellers, you guys, I don't know how you make this chocolate sauce, but um, everyone was craving it after they put it in their mouth. So thank you. Thank you so much for um, sending us your wine and your chocolate sauce. Chris, we have another wine of theirs that we will be doing this month. So I'm um, excited um, to, to share again. Horseshoe Ben Sellers, thank you. Thank you for um, allowing us to try your wine and chocolate sauce. Please go visit our friends in Iowa Park and tell them your friends at Texas Wine and True Crime sent you. Okay, honey, are you ready to jump back into the case? Let's jump back in. All right. Okay, so police first question Andrew. He shows up at the house in the morning. Police are still out there. Um, There are pictures of him and his girlfriend getting out of his car. Um, And so they question him. Where were you? Well, I spent the night at my girlfriend Chelsea's last night. Okay. Did you see your parents yesterday? Yes, I did. We had told them we were going to go camping, but it started to get a little chilly. The weather was supposed to, it may be rain, but it was getting, it was getting cold. So we decided not to go and we stayed the night at Chelsea's, where Chelsea lives, which is at her mother's house. Um, so that's his story. Now, next, they interview Sarah Walmsley. So they start focusing on Sarah for a few reasons. Um, She, at the time, had a child. She had this child when she was 19. Um, There was was some, you know, uh, she was sort of, I don't even want to say acting out because high school kids are high school kids. Okay, so she's in high school. She's not getting along with her parents with some of the stuff. She's hanging out with people she shouldn't hang out with, I guess. So just, I would say, I, I... I didn't want to make a big deal about this because I feel like this is just normal kid parent relationships. We've all been through it. Um, and so, but then she gets pregnant at 19. Her parents aren't happy about that. She, they, they end up actually asking her to leave the home, but that is before she gets pregnant. She wasn't pregnant yet. They ask her to leave before her high school graduation. And she does, but she moves in with a guy named Todd. Um, he is a little bit older than her. Um, She ends up having the baby. They have a daughter together. And, you know, I I, I won't say they weren't like incredibly close because there was Todd did not get along with the mother. Todd did get along with the father, Rick Wamsley. Nobody knows where she she met Todd, right? Um, I think just out, out. 
I mean, he was a community college student, I think. I mean, maybe she was going to community college. I'm not, I'm not totally certain. I don't really want to hone in on Sarah because Sarah, too, was going to be a victim. Um, she just got lucky. And, um, and, and I'll talk about that. But at the time, police, my, my whole point to this is police were looking at her because during this, while when they died, when they were killed, they were going through a huge custody battle in court. Sarah and Todd. Now, the Walmsleys were funding this battle for her, you know, and Todd had primary custody of their daughter. She had visitation. And so they wanted her to get more time with their child. But the Walmsleys loved their granddaughter. I mean, they they watched her. In fact, they watched her the day before they were killed. And Sarah was over there with her daughter. So, you know, it, it but as a researcher and a police looking into the murder of people, they look at the children, right? These are adult children. Um, they find an insurance policy, okay? The kids are going to be the beneficiaries of this policy since both parents are now deceased. So they have to look at them, I right? The kids, they have to look the at them. kids knew that or something? Or? I'm sure they did. I'm sure they knew that. Um, I'm about 100% sure based on what we know now about this case. Um, but that's sort of what's going on in Sarah's world, right? So this is what sort of police are unfolding and, and what her situation is. So Sarah tells detectives she was with her parents on the 10th, which was the day before they were murdered on the 11th. Um, and then she picks up her daughter and then drops her daughter off to Todd. And then she goes to work. Now, one of her coworkers ends up staying at her house. She has her own place. So a coworker ends up staying there. And then the next thing she knows, there's a knock on her door at 430 in the morning. And that was police telling her that her parents have been killed. So um, that's where she was. And that's what she tells police. Now, so, uh, like I mentioned, police did wonder about Todd, right? Would he have motive to kill the Wamsleys to end this ongoing custody battle? Um, you know, again, it's th there was some friction there. And would he, you know, knowing that they don't necessarily care, you know, too terribly much for him, does he have the motive to end their lives um, so he can, you know, peacefully live with his daughter and not have to deal with this custody battle any it's longer? It's a little strange that he has the primary custody, too. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really get too much into, you know, people want to dive into Sarah or or what yeah, was I mean, going on. And it, it, yeah, I mean, curious note. I, I, it happens. It, it happens. happens. It does. A month before the murder on November 9th. So a month, Chris, before they're killed, Rick, Susie and Sarah were riding in a car together and heard a pop and felt something happened to the car or something hit the car. At the time, they didn't know what happened. So they pull the car over, and they take a look, Chris, and they see a bullet hole in the side of their car. Okay, so this is on November 9th. Now, at the time, they're in Burleson, Texas, which isn't too far from Mansfield. And neighbors it, I believe. Yeah, and Chris, they immediately file a, per a police report about this incident. The police actually look at the vehicle, and get the bullet out. So they actually extract the bullet from the vehicle. And after the Wamsleys are murdered, Burleson police call the Mansfield police and tell them about this incident. They get the report and realize the Wamsleys may have been targets of murder starting back in November. So second thing in this case that I'm like, woohoo, they called the police they filed a report. They took the bullet because this bullet 
becomes key evidence in this case. And yeah, because now they have two. Yeah. Or it, three, really. Well, right? and that's the thing. It's like if they would have not said anything and just been in fear and didn't report it and just went home and had it fixed or whatever they decided to do, um, they Burleson would have never had this report. They would have never had this bullet. And again, file a report. When something like this happens, you never know when this could be useful for something else. So Please always file a police report if it's ne- if it's necessary. So a neighbor came forward and told police Susie was planning to leave Rick Walmsley. Now, in fact, the fifteen grand that they found in the drawer was being stashed by Susie to help her with finances. Chris, when she left Rick, have a little extra cash. Probably going to need it. She's a stay-at-home mom. Just sitting in the drawer. Get, that's kind of strange. But. Just sitting in a drawer. Um, now that would also explain why she was asleep on the couch that night. The friend also said, probably doesn't want to sleep with them. That's, and they, they were betting she's probably been on the couch for months at least. Right. True. True. So was this motive, was this a hired hit by Susie or Rick that went wrong? Was she supposed to stay on the couch? Was this normal? Um, and did and did and did something just not go right? They don't know, but they have to look at this now that a neighbor has come forward, um, and said, you know, she was getting ready to go. Lots of twists. Lots of twists. Now, because the police had hair, like hair, hair, they got a full chunk of hair in this case. They knew if they could get a DNA match on that hair, they would have their killer. They were able to get warrants for those that were either in the house within those twenty-four to forty-eight hours or somehow affiliated with those that had been in the house. Now, police go to Chelsea Richardson's mother's home in Everman, Texas. Now, she and Andrew were dating. Andrew spent most of his time at her house. And this is in Everman. It's only about a half hour from Mansfield, about about a 25-minute drive. Um, And they do confirm, you know, that Andrew was there that night. Chelsea tells police pretty much the same story as Andrew. The weather was going to get bad. They were supposed to go camping, but instead they went to go putt-putt. They had dinner with friends, and they were home by 1 o'clock. But when police got to the house, they also found someone that was staying there, and her name was Susanna Toledano. Now, Susanna moved out of her mother's house. I do believe Susanna was 18, 19 years old when this happened. Um, she moved out of her mother's house. She didn't get along with her. And she asked Chelsea, can I live and move in with you? Um, now police described this house that they went to Chelsea Richardson's house as a hoarder home with bug infestations. I saw pictures of this place. Crazy. And what was even crazier to them was that a, a, a someone of Andrew's family's affluence, uh, way of living and where he was from and he the kind of car slum- he drove, it, I guess. something didn't sit right with them. They weren't quite sure why this guy would be staying and spending so much time um, with, in, in a place like that. Now, they started searching this house. I mean, and there are some crazy stories about what came crawling out of some spaces. There were boxes stacked up on the walls. I mean, it's described as being a hoarder home. So this was a little baffling to investigators on what does Andrew, what is he doing here? Mm -hmm. Uh, 
the DNA results come back three months later after the murders. Remember, they've taken everyone's DNA. Um, the match, Chris, comes back to Susanna Toledano. Now, this is Chelsea's friend. She didn't even know Rick and Susie Wamsley. Okay? She doesn't know the Wamsleys. She was not high on the suspect list. They really only ran her DNA because she was living with Chelsea at the time. Yes. And she was by affiliation. So they were just kind of doing their due diligence and running her DNA. They were shocked when it came back as a match to the clump of hair in Rick Wamsley's hand. So they go looking for Susanna. Now, remember, this is a couple months after they're murdered. Um, she's not at Chelsea's house. They do see Chelsea and they ask her, where is Susanna Toledano? I don't know where she is. She left a couple months ago. Um, so they have to start doing some investigating work. They want to track this girl down and they find out that she has a Chicago phone number. Um, they track her, um, to Illinois. They do believe she was in Illinois. They contact Illinois PD and authorities can pinpoint exactly her location and they find her at her uncle's house in the Chicago area, and they go there, Chris, and they arrest her. Um, and does she have a story to tell them? So she tells police that she has dinner with somebody named Hilario at an IHOP restaurant. Now, she said Andrew and Chelsea were with her, and they were all sitting together with Hilario, and they were all, they basically were plotting to um, kill Andrew's parents. She said Toledano drove herself and Hilario to the Walmsley home. She said Hilario goes up to the house. The next thing she knows, she hears a couple shots. She hears Rick scream and immediately leaves after Hilario returns to the vehicle. Now she tells police that Chelsea and Andrew want the money, and they agree to give them money for being a part of this, right? And a little confusing to the police, well, who the, who's Hilario? She didn't have a last name. Which one, which IHOP did he work at? She couldn't remember that sort of cat and mouse, right? So police go on this wild goose chase to find this Hilario at IHOP in somewhere around Texas, and they get lucky. They actually call an IHOP in Arlington, and the manager says, well, I just fired a Hilario. So they soon track Hilario down, and does he have a story to tell? So it is the right Hilario, and they talk to him, and Hilario tells police that the trio, Chelsea, Andrew, and Susanna, would all come into the IHOP almost every night and sit down and play board games. They would sit there, play board games, drink sodas, and basically he overhears them trying to plot to kill Andrew's parents for months. Yeah, I mean, they they were plotting them themselves. I mean, it wasn't like he That's was initially. Right. Hilario doesn't know these people. Yeah. He was working there, right? But then sort of hears it, becomes Susanna, you know, su talking to Susanna. I mean, this is months in the making, okay? This isn't something that just happened overnight. These people were talking about it. Somebody overheard it. And instead of doing the right thing, he joins in and just participates in this absurd conversation with these young people. And um, that's what he tells police. Now, he 
And that's, you know, that's what, God, you know, you have those things in the cases where like only if, if he would have just come forward, if he would have just stopped right there and called police, the Wamsley would still be alive, right? They could have arrested them for, for you know, solicitation to commit capital murder type of thing. Um, and they'd still be alive. But because he just listened and went along and he ends up um, actually being accomplice to this. So we'll, we'll talk about that. So. He tells um, police that Chelsea and Andrew were actually the masterminds and that he – same with what Susanna said, that if they cut them in and they helped with the plot, that they would give them part of the money. Um, all of them I – I won't say all of them. I will say Susanna Hilario really said that Chelsea was the driver in a lot of this and sort of the mastermind in a lot of this. Um, and we will see that also when it comes to the trial um, between between both of these. So um, he Andrew goes to Hilario and says, listen, I need a gun. Can you can you find me a gun? Well, he ignores him and he ignores him and he ignores him for about two months. He said he just keeps asking and asking. So he says, finally, he decides he's going to go and get a gun. So he says he goes into Dallas, buys a gun. And then eventually gives it to Andrew. Okay. Did he want like a stolen gun or something like that? I mean, no. This kid's eighteen. He didn't say a stolen gun. He just wanted a gun. Hilario was a Hilario bought one for two hundred dollars. I know. I'm just saying the kids. Um, they're eight over eighteen. They could buy a gun. Well, yeah, but they don't want it traced to them. Oh, I mean, I know. Yeah. So I mean, like, did they send them to go get a? Yeah, they a were traceable hoping, guns. Yeah, they were hoping he would just get it and that there would be no connection to Hilario, to Andrew, right? Or to Chelsea. I mean, that's their thinking, right? We don't talk to this guy over the phone. We're not friends outside of the IHOP type of thing. How would they ever connect us? So they were sort of recruiting him to see if he would be able to produce that weapon. Yeah. Um, and he did. And he gives it to them. And the next thing Hilario knows and the next thing that Hilario tells police is that they come back in and they tell him that Susanna shot at the gas tank. Hilario asks them, well, why did you do that? And he says, well, because if we shot at the gas tank, they're all three in the car. The car would blow up and would kill all of them and we would get the insurance money. Yeah, okay, I don't think that's how that works, but... But Hilario's story in telling that to police confirmed oh, that no. the, the attempt on the lives happened back in November, just unsuccessful on the three the three parts. Um, okay, so after Hilario tells this story, Chris, they have cause to arrest Andrew and Chelsea. So all four suspects are arrested. Now, listen, this is between – this is like – I think in March and they were killed in December. So January, February, I mean, we're talking within four months, all four of them are arrested. Okay. Um, they're all arrested. Hilario ends up receiving Chris 50 years in prison for solicitation to commit capital murder for supplying that weapon. That was the end of his participation um, is what the court decided. Once he produced the gun and gave it to Andrew he had no more part. He never went to the Wamsley home. He never went in and shot anybody. Um, but he was convicted and received 50 years mm. for that solicitation of, to commit capital murder. Chris, he's been up for parole three times since his conviction in 2006, and he's been denied parole all three times. 
Susanna Toledano agrees to testify at the trials. In return, the prosecution would take the death penalty off the table because they're going after capital murder for all of these kids. Mm -hmm. Um, Susanna tells the court. So her story originally, remember, was her and Hilario had drove to the house. She really kind of kept Andrew and Chelsea. Yeah, she blamed him, right? Yeah, she did. She kind of kept them out of like of responsibility, right? Direct responsibility. Um. So Susanna ends up telling the court when she gets on the stand. Now, she is testifying at Chelsea Richardson's trial. So she gets on the stand and says that she, Chelsea, and Andrew snuck into the house while the couple was sleeping. She said the motive was money. Chelsea wanted the $1 million life insurance policy and the $1.65 million um, estate that's a that's how much his estate was worth at the time. So they think they're going to bank on 2.65 million if Sarah is killed along with her parents. That's where the initial conversation went in, which is why the attempt happened the first time on all three of them. Yeah, while they were in the car. Yeah. So, you know, Sarah finds this stuff out later, you know? I mean, you got it like she ends up filing a suit against her brother for the money and and stuff like that after after this is over. But um yeah, so now she finds out she was going to possibly be a victim um of their of their selfishness. Um so she Susanna admits that Chelsea was pushing her to do it. So they're all in the house. They all sneak into the house. The couple is asleep. And she says that Chelsea is just saying, you know, go do it. And she says she's getting cold feet. She's not sure she wants to do this. She has the gun in her hand. And she says Chelsea just keeps going, do it. Just do it. And then she said, finally, Chelsea pushes her like towards the couch in the living room where Susie's asleep. And she just it's pressure i don't know adrenaline she's in it they've now broke basically broken into a home you know and just standing in a dark living room over this woman she's getting cold feet this is an 18 and a half 19 year old girl um you know and she does it she fires at Susie and stabs her 18 times she goes into the bedroom um, like I said earlier, I imagine Rick had heard that shot or loud noise and tried to figure out what he heard. Well, Susanna shoots at him twice, hitting him once, and, the, and it goes into the headboard, and the other one misses and ends up in the wall. He somehow gets to his feet out of the bedroom when he is shot in the back. So shot in the back and falls in front of the fireplace. And at some point, there's a struggle. There is she's He gets up. He attacks her. They attack each other. She she says that they are struggling together. Um, he's able to grab her hair because that's how close he was to her. He's able to grab her hair, pull her hair out, um, and he's headed towards the front door. He somehow he gets away from her, they believe, because he's in front of the fireplace they know on the ground because there's a lot of blood there. But then they find him at the doorway. So he was going to make it out. And she tells the court, Chris, that's when Andrew and Chelsea intervened. It was getting out of hand and he was about to get away. Yeah. I wonder why they think that, I mean, why they think that this girl, Susanna, had the um, like the balls to do this, the shoot and the stab. I don't know. I mean, did she portray herself that way? I mean, um, sort odd. of, kind of, um, young, kind of a young girl to go do. Well, well, they believe once Andrew and Chelsea intervened to get 
to make sure he didn't get out that front door. Um, because remember, they find multiple shoe prints. Everything was in disarray by the front door. He's found there. No, I know, but it seems like initially they're mm-hmm. pushing this very young girl to go do this. It's just mm-hmm. a well, they're young too. They just don't want the blood on their hands, right? I know. It's just odd that what I mean. I don't know. Control factor, right? Like I'm I the guess. ringleader. The ringleader doesn't do. You know, he they don't do the deed. They hire and bring someone else in to do the deed, and that's the person that benefits from it, right? So that's that is how they portrayed Chelsea. She was the mastermind. She got Andrew to agree with this. She got Susanna to agree with this. She, you know, they even talked this guy into going and getting a gun, you know, someone who works there and just happened to, you know, be wrangled into this a little bit. Um, but Chelsea is believed to have stabbed Rick, at least if not all 21 times, some most of those times. So they, I mean, but here's another thing about this that is just so heartbreaking. Rick Walmsley will see his son. I mean, he will see his son subduing him and and, the, and seeing the girlfriend that, that I'm about 90% sure they didn't even agree with him dating in the first place, just based on who they are as people and, and, and what they thought of this girl. And now we see why. I mean, you know, so God, he sees his son at those last moments and know that he's involved. And that is just heartbreaking. Um, yeah. So they, they all three, she says on, on stand on the stand, they all three were in a struggle with him, making sure he couldn't escape. And then, um, he was stabbed to death after killing the couple. They all go back to Chelsea's and they're waiting for something to happen. They're waiting for a breaking news, right? Again, they're just, very the, the the naiveness that yes. comes with this age, right? They're waiting for them to be found. Well, then they realize, well, if they don't find them, we can't get the money. Like that's what they tell themselves. We, if they don't realize they're dead, we don't get our money. So we have to make sure their bodies are found. So they drive from Everman at from Chelsea's house and go back to the Walmsleys. And that's when they unlock the door in the garage. They unlock the garage door. They go into the home and they make that 911 call and leave it off the hook. So that was them. That wasn't the Walmsleys in trouble. That was them. And they leave the home and go back to Chelsea's. That's ballsy. Oh, we're dealing with some. uh, I know, but yeah, it doesn't surprise me, but. Um, Chelsea Richardson, um, the jury and the court did not see any sympathy for her role in this murder. She sentenced to death, Chris, on this capital murder case. It is later appealed and um, because of a technicality, of course, always a technicality. And this was converted to a life sentence. But Chris, she was actually the first woman from Tarrant County to be sentenced to death. Um, but that was reversed. She is spending um, the rest of her life in prison. Okay. Blood smears were found in Andrew's car. They took uh, material and, from that front seat, and they, it matched Rick and Susie's DNA. So by the time Andrew – now, Susanna took a plea, right? She's going to testify because Andrew and Chelsea take their chances in a trial. Mm-hmm. Well, look what happened when Chelsea didn't go out well for her. So she but, – but Andrew – it comes up next. So his trial second. Now, he needed someone to testify on his behalf. None of his family would. Nobody would. 
So he gets his really good friend who's he had who he's been his friend since he was a kid. And he asks him to testify on his behalf to maybe the jury to show him some mercy. Now, this guy gets on the stand and he says, listen, I know my friend. He doesn't have a lot of friends. We've always been like that our entire lives. But I also know that the Wamsleys would be alive if he had never met Chelsea. So that he believed and the court believed that his parents would still be here today if Chelsea Richardson had not come into his life. That's probably very true. So because of this sympathy, they convicted him to life in prison. And Andrew Wamsley will actually be eligible for parole in 2044. Susanna never faced a jury. She pleaded down to murder um, and was working with prosecutors and to testify against uh, Chelsea and Andrew. She ends up getting a life um, term in prison with the possibility of parole in 2034. But, Chris, prosecutors don't believe she will ever be let out into society again. Um, they don't think very highly of this girl. She is pretty scary looking. And um, she's a cold-blooded killer. Well, they so, shouldn't think very highly of her. So. No, they do not. And they are hoping she never sees the light of day again. Uh, Sarah Walmsley would have taken half of the estate and half of the life insurance policy, which is why she, too, was on the list to kill. So the couple could have all the assets and the money, which is why they tried to blow up the car by shooting at it while she was with her parents. Susanna admitted in court that Sarah would have been killed if she would have been sleeping at her parents the night their lives were so senselessly taken. 